Praise the Lord. Good morning, everyone. I feel right at home, so if you'll just excuse me, I'll act like such. Praise the Lord. We're so wonderful and long relationship that we have had with Christ Legacy Church and uh, the Brooks family and their great ministry through all the years. And, and now with Pastor John and Claudia and their precious family, we're just, we just couldn't be more delighted that your pastors are the Elliots. What a great, great group of people. What a great family they are. And to get to see all of the family, this is really a treat for me because I've known of you and about your ministries for many, many years. And we're praying for, for John's grandpa tomorrow. We've already got you on our list, Brother Elliot, to, to pray for you tomorrow. God's going to bring you through in, in, a, in a great way. And just a, just a joy and a delight to be with you. I'm so thankful that my sweetheart is with me. We celebrated 40 years of ministry and marriage back in December. And so we had a meeting the other day, and I said, let's just go 40 more. She agreed. And, of course, I'll be 100 when that happens. But, you know, anyway. So, And I'm so delighted to have our daughter, Lindy, with us today. She is uh, at Southern Nazarene University, about to finish her master's degree as a licensed professional counselor. So she's about to come on the scene and I think will be used of the Lord in a powerful way in the area of counseling, especially when it's faith-based. Can I get a witness? There's only, there's only one true solution to the to problems that we face, and that's through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, through the help of the Holy Spirit, all based in the power of God's Word. And so, so we're so thankful for that. I'm um, really delighted to uh, share with you a couple of quick things because at the end of the service, when pastor comes to receive the offering for our ministry, I don't want to take the time to do that then. So give me just a couple of quick moments to tell you what's on the horizon with our ministry. We um, have been evangelists for 32 years out of our 40 years of ministry, and we have concluded our 86th overseas crusade. And I've asked the Lord for at least 100 crusades, and so we're working toward that. And uh, we've helped plant 70 churches in parts of the world. And I've asked the Lord for 100 churches. So we have a mandate. In other words, we have an assignment like we all do in our lives. That, that's our assignment. And we're moving quickly to, to see that done through the Lord's help. Uh, back in March, early March, I got an email from a friend of mine that is the director of our Teen Challenge ministry throughout uh, Puerto Rico and all of the Caribbean and Mexico. And he sent me an email, and he said, Brother Mark, we right now, as I'm writing this email, Puerto Rico has 41% of its inhabitants stricken with COVID. And this rate keeps growing. It has devastated our entire island. And he said, we need help. I said, how can I help you? He said, I attend the General Superintendent's Church, the Assemblies of God here in Puerto Rico, and I was telling him about your healing testimony. Some of you may remember that uh, over 40 years ago, the Lord healed me of lymphoma, and the only thing I lost in that whole experience with my hair, but it's, it's, uh, that's okay. Uh, I'm saving my family tremendous money. And, um, and so I said, well, how can I help you? He said, he wants you to come and give your testimony and preach in our churches throughout the island, he said and believes that God heals people's bodies 
Revival will break out in Puerto Rico, Puerto Rico like we've never seen in our history. Because so many are hurting, so many have been stricken with this pandemic, and it just keeps coming and going, coming and going, much worse than even what we have here in the mainland. So that's what we're going to be doing soon. So your gifts of love today will help me to go, because when I go, I'm going to pay for everything. Those that serve over there, any missionaries, churches, I'm going to take care of all expenses and be a blessing. Then we'll go to Israel and minister. Then we'll go back to Italy and preach a European pastor's conference and on and on it goes. So thank you so much for your consideration and partnering with us today. And uh, we won't have to come back and mention anything at the end so we can go right into the Word of God. Sound good? Amen. I also want to just uh, highlight uh, some things that, that, that Christ's legacy is so gifted in so many ways. Um, not only did this church produce Claudia to be Susie's administrative assistant, but then Claudia, when she uh, was having just one more baby, Amen. one more, just one more. We're, we're just we're just we're just praying for one more, and, uh, and, and it was and had to step down from that role. Then she told Susie, "But I've got someone to replace me that's excellent." And Melissa Flores came, and serves with Susie now in that capacity. So thank you, Melissa, for uh, all came from right here in this church has been such a blessing to my wife and to our district ministries uh, for women. Praise God. I want you to take your Bibles and let's go to Matthew chapter 9. I can preach this message in 21 minutes if you'll give me a good witness. Boy, if you make me work, it'll take four hours, seven minutes to get this message preached. And I want you to see a powerful word the Lord has given me. When Pastor John many weeks ago talked about the series... And he asked me about it. I said, Pastor, I would be more than thrilled to flow in this series with you, and especially on the subject of evangelism. I'll never forget the kids' camp that I attended at Turner Falls. It was 1970, and I was nine years old. I went to the altar that particular evening service, and my heart had just been really touched by the Holy Spirit in a powerful way. And I had been asking the Lord as just a nine-year-old kid, Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit. So I went down to the altars and I lifted my hands. The camp evangelist came by and got to me and laid hands on me. I immediately began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit helped me. As many of us, hundreds of us in the altars being touched in a powerful way that night in that kids' camp, I remember walking over out of the open-air tabernacle over to the kind of a gravel-grass mixture that was between the tabernacle and the boys' dorm. In that gravel mixture, somebody came around while I just had my hands up and I was just praying and praying in the Spirit, just allowing the Lord to fill me with His Spirit. Somebody laid hands on me, and under the weight of that presence of God, I, I went down on the, on the ground. And in those next uh, 90 minutes, on that ground, at the age of nine, the Lord called me in the ministry. And I've never forgotten my roots, where I came from, where it happened. And we have to make sure that we don't lose our first love. Because if we're going to be successful in evangelism, as I will show you, our first love will be required because I'm going to show you the warnings and the, and the pitfalls that will come 
when you try to just be a witness for the Lord. In Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38, let me read these verses to you, and then we'll jump in quickly. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered, like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful. Notice this. These are the words of Jesus. The harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Father, thank you for your word in these next few moments. Give us ears to hear and hearts to receive. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. When Pastor John and I were visiting just a few days ago on the phone, going through the details of our service and what we were believing God to do uh, through this, this day together, I mentioned this statement to him, and I believe it resonated in your pastor's heart. And here's what I said that launched this message. Not everyone is called to be an evangelist, but everyone is called to evangelism. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, I went back and just reminded myself, Jesus and he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers. What, what are these called uh, areas of ministry all about? Those of us in a five-fold ministry that I just mentioned, we are to equip the people of God to do the work of the ministry. So our responsibility as evangelists, as pastors, as spiritual leaders is to equip you and train you. And I remember when we were uh, first youth pastors over 40 years ago, we went to Amarillo, Texas at First Assembly where, where we worked and served with Pastor Bob and Ann Slayton. And I'll never forget when I got there, I took a youth group that had kind of dwindled down to a, a small group of kids. And they said, what kind of game are we going to play? What are we going to do first? I said, well, we're going to go down to the, this was back when the video arcades were really, really popular. Everybody go back that far? And so I told them, I said, well, the first thing we're going to do is I'm going to train you how to win the lost. We're going to go hang out for two hours at the video arcade. Watch me lead kids to Jesus, and then you're going to do it. And we're going to keep reproducing until this big youth room we've been given has a bunch of kids in it. And in the first year, Susie will recall, she was right there with me every step of the way. I remember in that first year, we took about 12 kids, and we had 120 after six months all because the kids learned how to win people to Jesus. That way their mind's not on what kind of shoes do I need next? What kind of game do I need to order? What, what do I want for me? And they, their focus was when they were in public, their focus was who could maybe I share Jesus with? And it turned a group of students into soul winning machines and, and everything grew, the youth and, and the adults and the choir and everything grew in the church because the people got behind it and started understanding it. I wanna give you three reasons the Lord spoke to my heart that we need to be engaged in evangelism and winning the loss to Christ. Number one, you must believe that there is a harvest and that that harvest is ready to be reaped. John 4, 35 declares, do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they are already white for harvest. Where do we see proof that fields are white 
and, and ready to be reaped. In our text this morning, we read where Jesus was moved with compassion. In fact, when he was moved with compassion, it was because as he gazed out over Jerusalem, he said he saw people like, like sheep having no shepherd. And they, they were just, they were just, uh, they had no leader, they had no, no focus, they had no, no future, they had no, and he saw them and he wept over the hardness and the spiritual blindness that he saw in the lives of the people that he gazed over when he looked out over Jerusalem. Jesus described it to his disciples when they asked him, what kind of signs will we, should we be looking for when, when we know we're in that end season, when we know we're in uh, that, that time of harvest? And Jesus answered them very clearly. He said, well, here's the signs you'll see. You'll see famines and earthquakes and tribulations, nations divided, False prophets and false Christ will deceive many and lead multitudes astray. Jesus even said this, and we're seeing this play out in our own culture. Believers will be hated for even mentioning my name. And the love of many, he said, will grow cold, which speaks of a backsliding, a falling away from the Lord in these last days. And he said some will fall away because of the bold increase of sin and lawlessness. Now I've said all that to say this, the darker our days get, the wider the harvest is going to be. Let me say it again, the darker the days become, the, the greatest opportunity is at our disposal. The wider the harvest, the days in which we are living are truly difficult and dark days. All of the things that Jesus mentioned to his disciples as signs they would see that we just read, uh, Concerning these evidences of a harvest that's ready, we're witnessing some things that are far beyond just what Jesus mentioned. Isn't it heartbreaking every day to wake up and see that there's been another mass shooting and an act of violence? Isn't it sad to think that in this generation, during your lifetime and mine, that we have absolute gender confusion? We have the decline of trusted institutions, structures, and systems. We have a tremendous battle over the sanctity of life. Why is this the hot button really above all? Because Jesus said that Satan has been a murderer from the very beginning. And it goes all the way back to children being sacrificed to the false gods of Molech and others in the Old Testament. It is the hot button like none others. It is so hot that even some of our own uh, Supreme Court justices, there's been uh, uh, threats to their lives, uh, tried to carry out murders on their lives, and, and, and all of these. The institution of marriage is under attack between a man and a woman. The rapid decline of the American culture and our values. We're not living in a leave it to beaver or Andy Griffith kind of a culture anymore, friends. It is a different day. And the enemy's not uh, just kind of hiding in some corner. He's coming right through the front door. And with his bold pro proclamation of, of evil and unrighteousness. Why? Because Revelation says the devil knows he has a short time. And when he knows he has a short time, that's why he has unleashed from the bowels of hell all of the evil that we're facing because he knows I've got just a little time in which to work. Wouldn't it be something if the church would also adapt the attitude, we've got just a short time in which to work. What we do, we better do it quickly. We can't sit back on our blessed assurance and just hope somebody else gets it done or some other church steps up to the plate. But that mandate belongs to each one of us. Hallelujah. We got the battle of 
racial animosity, the challenge of epidemics and diseases that have spun uh, uh, crazy amounts of depression, anxiety, and an attack on our mental health. Ladies and gentlemen, what I've said uh, there to say now is the harvest is unlike any other harvest we've ever seen. People need Jesus. People are searching for answers. People are desperate for solutions. And we have the answer. We've got the answer. His name is Jesus. And he shed his blood on Calvary's cross and satisfied the justice of God by shedding his own pure, spotless blood. And he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And John 3, 16 and 17 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his own only begotten son and whoever believes in him will not perish should not perish but have everlasting life for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved if you still believe that Jesus is the answer and he's the savior of mankind put your hands together come on and just give the Lord praise for it we have not only the responsibility but I would rather say we have the privilege of being the Lord's ambassadors and the Lord's witnesses. I don't look at it as some kind of drudgery. I don't look at witnessing and sharing my faith as something just, you know, you, you just gotta do. It is the privilege of the believer who has been washed in the blood of Jesus and rescued from an eternity and a devil's hell to be able to look for opportunities to share the gospel with someone else. We have the privilege of witnessing to our family, our friends, our neighbors, and uh, that what Jesus has done for us, he can also do for them. And uh, he forgave us of our sins. He, when we ask him to come into our hearts, I can go back to the day. I was eight years old. I walked the aisle. But I got out of the seat between uh, the laps of my parents. I was eight years old at First Assembly in Claremore, Oklahoma, and I just tapped my dad on the leg. I said, I got to get up, Dad. He said, all right, I'll, be, I'll, I'll go with you. My dad got up and followed me down as his eight-year-old son, knelt beside me at the altar and led me to Jesus Christ. I've never been the same since that day. He came into my heart. He cleansed me from unrighteousness. He wrote your name and my name in the Lamb's book of life, and we're going to spend all eternity with him. But here's what I have to say. But unless we receive a fresh compassion for the lost, we really won't do anything about their lost condition. I saw the story again. I reminded myself of the powerful story of General William Booth, the founder of the Great Salvation Army. He sent his soldiers, his spiritual workers, to the slums of Los Angeles back in the 1800s. And they began, they took all the courses, they went through all the training, they did all the man-made things that needed to be done to have success and to, to lead people to Jesus and, and see people come to Christ. After three years in the slums of L.A., they had no converts. So they sent a message to General Booth. It's just not working, General. The people here just aren't interested in the gospel. It's just really hard here where we are. And uh, that was the message they sent. General Booth sent back a telegram with two words that forever changed the trajectory of the Salvation Army to this day. He sent this to his soldiers, try tears, period. You see, we can read a lot of books about evangelism. 
We can take a lot of classes about evangelism. We can do all kinds of things about how we should evangelize. But in my heart of hearts, until we get the tears back in our eyes for the lost condition of people, then we will see no real success in our witness. He told his soldiers, try tears. They went to the prayer room. They put all the books and all the paraphernalia, all the pamphlets. They put everything aside that they had read, they had learned, they had trained. And they just got on their faces and cried out, Oh God, give us a burden for the lost. And the tears for the first time in three years began to roll down the cheeks of his soldiers. And the rest is history. Revival broke out. And to this day, millions have come to know Christ through the ministry of the great Salvation Army. Hallelujah. This is what it's all about is the compassion. The, and secondly, the greatest enemy of our personal witness and our desire to evangelize will be ourself. Paul told Timothy in the last days, be aware of this, men are going to be lovers of themselves. And so we have become a nation, if we're not careful, we can become quickly self-absorbed. Uh, we used to, I remember growing up in a little town here in Oklahoma, and my, my parents, when we'd leave the driveway in the car uh, and go anywhere, go to the grocery store, go to church, go wherever, they waved at every single car that passed. Anybody remember growing up like that? Quench, you're with me, aren't you, brother? You know what I'm talking about. And, and they just, and, and I kept wondering all those years, why are they waving? They, they don't know everybody. They just, I mean, every car. Next car come by. And so when I got to be 16 and had my driver's license, got in that Toyota Celica, come on, somebody, with a big old CB antenna on the back of it. I'm telling you, I was the percolator. That was my handle. I was the percolator. Yes. And, oh, I was proud of that little car. And, and, and just like my parents, because they did it, I did it. I, as soon as I got on the roads, every car. Finally, you know, when I finally came to my senses, I realized, you know, I don't have to do this. It was a different day. We waved at everybody. People would visit more in their yards and would walk over. And, hey, how are you guys doing? Everything going okay? Saw your kids uh, out swimming uh, there today. It's really, no, today... We like to hit the garage door button. We pull in quick and come within two inches before we hit that. Come on, somebody. At least that's, that's me. And then we hit that button and we close everything down. Boy, we get inside. We'll shut the blinds if necessary. We don't want anybody in our space because we're just busy. We got a lot going on. And, but you know what? That's to our detriment. We have removed ourselves from human need it's good preaching where I'm from. We've removed, removed ourselves from human need to the neglect of those in our sphere of influence that are just waiting for our witness. I read over 50 scriptures yesterday about selfishness. And I'm only going to read four, and I'm, I'm almost finished. Stay with me. Philippians 2, 4, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. 1 John 3, 17, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Well, that's powerful. 2 Timothy 2, 4, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. And John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. 
Satan will do everything in his power to sidetrack us and cause us to be only concerned with ourselves, our needs, our goals, and our pursuits. But we must pray, God, not only give me a compassion for the lost, give me a burden for people who are lost without hope and without you, but Lord, give me a heart of compassion. Can I get a witness? For the lost and for my heart not to harden, especially in the challenging and evil days that are upon us. Father, this is what I prayed last night again. Fill my eyes with tears of compassion and concern for people's lost condition. And many times, simple acts of kindness are very fruitful. I've said this recently, it didn't get me any brownie points, and I surely didn't get any popularity points. But I spoke to a large youth group that was in the sanctuary with the adults, and they had, I don't know, 150 to 200 kids in this church. It was a huge youth group. And so I asked the question, because it's summer, and they're out of school. I know some have jobs and other things. Please hear my heart. I said, how many of you are mowing the yards of the elderly and the widows here in the church? No hands. They started squirming in their seats. And I said, how many of you in this heat and with the pandemic that we've been battling, are you going and getting groceries for them? They'll pay for their own food. But are you going to get groceries and delivering those groceries back to their homes? No one moved. I said, God forbid that you'd sit in your air-conditioned houses all summer while the widows in your church are out there with a push mower and a 105-degree heat index trying to get their yard mowed because they can't afford a company. I got no amens. I got no witness. But I struggle with things like that. And I've had to ask the Lord to help me. Because I don't lack boldness. <laughs> my papa did this on Saturdays. My grandfather was a judge in Rogers County, Oklahoma. And I think my papa could have driven any kind of car he wanted, but for some reason he was a big fan of the Volkswagen Beetle. He's a big guy, big old hands, had the same barber as me. And my papa would call me, especially in the summer. Uh, with school and things were out, he would call me. He did this every Saturday, but he'd get me in on it. He'd call me Friday night, and he'd say, what are you doing in the morning about 8 o'clock? I'd say, well, Papa, I don't have any plans at 8 o'clock in the morning. What do, you, what do you need me to do? He said, well, I'm going to come pick you up. We're going to go take some groceries to some people that are hurting in our town and in our church. And so you might remember the trunk on the Volkswagen was in the front. And so he'd push that button and lift up that, that lid, you know, and there's that open space we would call a trunk, but it was in the front where the engine you thought would be. And it was just lined up with sack after sack of groceries, as many as you could get in that space. We'd spend the next, oh, probably till just about noon, just going house to house. Here he is, the judge, and could just sit at home in the cool air conditioning and just uh, enjoy his blessings. But every Saturday, he would go by and he would say, now get, get those two bags right there and follow your papa. This lady's name is Kathy, and she used to go to our church, but she's been sick, and she's not able to get really get up and move very well, and she's not able to come to church anymore. We're going to take her enough groceries for at least the next week or two. He'd smile. I'd grab a couple of sacks of groceries as a little kid, and I'd follow my papa up to the door. My parents picked up two unlovelies every Sunday morning for church. 
I remember asking my dad one time, do we have to pick them up? They don't even take a bath. The, the words of a kid who didn't think before he spoke. And he said, yes, we do. You just plug up your nose if you need to. He said, they don't have automobiles. And our job as Christians, son, is to take somebody to church with us. It's just not something your mother and I want to do is go by ourselves and have no effect in people's lives. So we're going to pick them up as long as we can. Every Sunday we would pick them up, take them back home, many times provide their lunch. I never understood it until I got a little older. Now I know what they were doing. They were teaching me. Be an evangelist. Evangelize. Sow seed of goodness, of the love of God. Help somebody. Don't just think about yourself. Praise God. Scripture tells us the Holy Spirit is given only to those who ask in faith. So I ask you, have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? With the initial physical evidence of speaking in other tongues. It doesn't matter how educated or successful your life appears. Your supply and my supply of the Spirit always has to be either received and or renewed. And my heart's cry is this. Holy Spirit, come back to your church. Come back and touch us with a burning passion for Jesus, which would also turn into a burning passion for the lost. Come back and clean out all the schemes and plans of men. I commit to you, Holy Spirit, to lead, guide, and direct my life so that I won't miss the divine appointments that you've been setting up for me because of my own self-centeredness. I wonder how many divine appointments have we missed when it came to someone's heart that was ripe, that was ready, that would have been receptive, but we were so busy taking care of us, we never saw the appointment and the open door the Holy Spirit opened for us. Last example. I go to our ministry mail all comes to a post office in Mustang where we live. Our personal mail all comes to our house. So I go every day, get everything related to ministry, and I had a burden one day for the four postal workers that were behind the counter and it was just a big group of people I heard a few people kind of complaining and kind of putting the pressure on some people that it wasn't their fault because of what was happening and and I just saw the pressure being applied to these people and the Lord spoke to my heart go buy them two dozen donuts and I thought uh, Lord I'd like to have a couple myself but anyway I, I, I did not. I, I can't do donuts. If I do donuts, I can find them. I, I, the next day, there's one right there on my hip. There, there's one right there. That they just appear. Anyway, I went to the donut shop, and I ordered two dozen, and I got all the good ones, all the assorted good ones, you know. And I took those two big white boxes in when I came back. I, I left the line, went and got them, came back. And when I walked in, the last person was leaving the counter. There's the four workers. And uh, the last person walked behind me, walked out the door. Very rare that I'm in the lobby and there's no one but me. I put the two boxes down and they said, well, Mark, what in the world? I said, you know, you guys do such a great job all the time for all of us. I just wanted to say thanks and bring you a couple of boxes of donuts. 
And I said, now I know people bring you all stuff, and, and I hope this is not just in the way and tacky. And she said, what do you mean? No one ever brings us anything. That shocked me. I could not even fathom it. I said, oh, well then, I said, there's more. She said, yeah, there's several more back in the back, sorting mail, doing all kinds. She said, this is enough for all of us. I said, that was the goal. And uh, I said, just wanted to say thanks, and I appreciate your attitude and what you all do. You, you've always been helpful. Thank you. And as I'm starting to walk out, the postmaster at the first slot says, uh, Mark, before you go, I, I just found out that, that I have cancer. And um, uh, before you leave, would you pray for me? I'm looking around. There's still no one in the lobby. I've got it all to myself. And then I said, well, of course. As I'm walking over toward her just to stand in front of that, that spot and, and to pray over her, there's still no one in there. The next lady says, oh, and, and while you're praying, my daughter's hooked on drugs. Would you be able to pray for her? Well, I've never had been asked like this before in a post office. And then the next one I said, the next person was a man. He said, oh, by the way, can you do weddings? I said, well, yes. What, what do you need? He said, well, he said, when you walked in today, I just felt in my heart like I need to quit living with this lady and I need to marry her. I said, we can take care of that and quickly. The next time I preached at the bridge in Mustang, I looked out and the whole office staff of the post office was sitting on a row, many of them with tears running down. What was that all about? A silly box of donuts, a simple act of kindness opened the hearts of those that I see some on a daily basis. And now I have an inroad into their lives. I pray for them. They tell me about needs and prayer requests and family situations. They, don't, they told me they don't talk to anybody else. And I'm like, you mean all I had to do was bring a box of donuts? And how many of you know what I'm trying to say? Think about the simple acts of kindness you can do and be the evangelist that God has called you to be in sharing the glorious good news of Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to us clearly today. Thank you, Lord, for doing something in our heart by and through the power of the Holy Spirit that we cannot do for ourselves. So, Lord, we ask you to touch us. I want you to lift your hands right where you're sitting right now, everybody. Come on. Every time I lift my hands, I know I'm surrendering my will to his. And in this act of surrender, would you just pray as I'm praying over you? Pastor's going to come in just a moment. But before he does, I just wanted you to, to pray in your own way. Father, just do something in my heart. Give me a fresh compassion. Give me a burden for people. Lord, it's been a long time since I've been awakened in the night by your spirit. And I've gotten out of bed and I've gone over to a place and knelt in prayer and cried out to you. To use me to bring the gospel to someone that's lost, someone that's dying, someone that's hurting. Lord, you've given us as your army... We are your salvation army, Lord, and you are our general. And we want to see fruitfulness from our lives. We don't want to spend three years like those soldiers did in the slums of L.A. and have no fruit. But as soon as the tears came back to their eyes, they saw fruit and people became, uh, began to come to you and receive you as Savior and Lord. And revival broke out across this nation from just this group of people. So, Lord, I pray you'll do it for us. 
And that's our cry, and that's our heart. In Jesus' name, amen.